And I can't expect mm-hmm. to do that if I haven't tried to walk and wrestle with uh, suffering today, tomorrow, next month, next year, etc. This right. is how I learned to do it. Like we talked about in the last episode, muscle memory. Yeah. It's kind of a muscle memory. Um, yeah. So as we talk about this mystery of the theology of suffering, I think you said it maybe in the first episode, John Mark, um, it is not like a mystery to be solved. Um, mm. Like you think of mysteries or things to be solved. It is mystery with regard to the church, also like the mystery of, of the, the Trinity. It is something that we unpack, we continue to unpack. Hello and welcome back to Deep in Christ. I'm your host, John Mark Grodi, here at the Coming Home Network International. And we are a network of people on a journey. As I remind you every week, this is a network of people who are trying to follow Jesus Christ a little more each day. And for many of us, that has led us to the Catholic Church, to full communion with the Catholic Church, or for many people, they're, they're thinking about becoming Catholic. But for all those in the network, you know, that we're walking along together, uh, the task remains to the same, and that is uh, remaining close to Jesus every day. That's what we're talking about here on Deep in Christ. And I'm joined again by a good friend and colleague, Denise Bossert. We've been having a com- good conversation about redemptive suffering, this this teaching, this understanding, the spirituality that the Catholic Church has given us in her tradition for understanding standing this basic fundamental aspect of human life, which is suffering. Uh, and it's an important one, again, generally for the Christian life, for the human life, but more particularly for our particular network, we have people who, again, are at various places on their spiritual journey, but all of them continue. We, we all are wrestling with how to make sense of, how to embrace, how to uh, receive and pray through difficult times in our life. So we, we hear this from so many people, right, Denise? So many of our members continue to wrestle with this important issue. We, right? we do. And, and I just received an email just a couple days ago, uh, someone who was looking at a passage in, in scripture and, and seemed to think that it meant that God punishes us, that he is the source of our suffering. He's the, um, the source of suffering and death and um, the, as a penalty to sin. And I responded, it's probably more accurate to say that when we sin, the definition of sin is to, to turn from God, um, to rebel against him. And the wages of sin is suffering and death. And so it's not so much that God, you know, is the source of suffering or that it's, you know, he's, you know, you shouldn't do that and here's your punishment but that we, uh, in our brokenness, uh, turn away from him, and that is a result of it. Right. So, um, and, you know, yeah. even when we talk about hell, we, you know, God doesn't send us to hell, but it is something that potentially what's really happening is we have a, uh, we cling to our sin, we are unrepentant and stubborn in that situation, and we choose to walk away from him in, in stubborn, unrepentant, and a place with serious sin. But these, we, these kinds of things are these subtleties of our, our picture of God are really important. I mean, they, they differ a little bit uh, amongst the broken Christian body and then uh, across other religions as well. This picture of who, who is God, when we try to understand this God um, with whom we have some sort of relationship, how do we understand it? Uh, and sometimes the subtleties of, again, of understanding God's relationship to us and where sin and where suffering fits in there is so important. I mean, for us, our touchstone is the New Testament is is Jesus Christ. I mean, Jesus is God's word to us about who he is and who we are and what our, like how bad our sin is. I mean, the, the, we, we keep the crucifix. You've got a great crucifix right behind you, Denise. We keep that in front of our eyes as Catholics because God, uh, Christ, as God's word to us, uh, tells us how bad sin is, 
but also how deep in his love and mercy is and then and who he is who he sta- how he stands in relation to us and that is that ultimately he's a loving father and so all those things are they can seem like theological subtleties but they're they're really important because we have to make sure we're taking our cues from Christ himself and not from you know like the other various opinions about who God might be right so so true um, and even we when we look at, at Genesis with the garden and the one thing well let me back up God made a perfect world he did not make a world with suffering he did not want us to suffer and he had one tree that uh right that was the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil he said don't eat of this tree um, because he wanted us to be able to enjoy the perfection, you know, that even good would be a lesser to perfect. And certainly he didn't want us to experience evil. Um, and yet to, to, you know, create a garden without this one tree would be to make us puppets where we had no choice, uh, in, in serving him and loving him and following him. So it's very robust, this, this discussion around, God and sin and um, our fallen humanity and original sin and, and what has come into the world because of that. And yet, and we're going to get into this, John Mark, the amazing thing is that this God would leave his glory in heaven to come to redeem us. And that the 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 next chapter to that would be that he has not only redeemed us, but he has redeemed the very penalty for original sin by elevating suffering to something where we can um, offer it up as being part of that mystical body to the cross of Christ uh, to usher in graces for the whole church. So uh, that is that is remarkable. It's something we need to pause and and think about. Um, and prepare our hearts for those times when we do suffer, uh, that we can have this opportunity to take this thing that is a result of original sin uh, and our brokenness and our broken humanity and take the very penalty for it, which Christ has redeemed, and offer it up to him for graces for the whole mystical body and really for the whole world. So, yeah. We are, we're going to talk a little bit about, so Christ came, he came to redeem us, and he transforms, first of all, he starts by, with his own passion and death, um, by turning, and I, one of the things I absolutely love, and I really don't know where this came from, like what Saint said at first, but we look at what happened in the garden, and it's a whole reversal with Christ's death, um, so in, in the in Genesis, we see a world that is perfect, um, that is full of life, and uh, one man and one woman, by taking the fruit down from the tree um, in a willful act against God, brings death into the world. And then you have the new Adam in the new Israel, right? The church is the new Israel. You have the new Adam with the new Eve, um, and it is the fruit of Mary's womb that goes back up on the tree. And he who is the author of all life, uh, choosing uh, to to die, to submit to to death, the thing we fear most in this world, um, in order to bring life to us and to redeem us. So it's just fascinating, that that whole thing. And there's so many other parallels um, that you can really unpack from that story um, about Genesis and what happened there and what Christ did for us. Um, and I don't know if you've had a near-death experience, Delmark, but I have a hard time imagining God choosing to submit to this. Um, about the time I was reading the Carmelite Saints, we went out to eat. Uh, my son was, had been accepted to Conservatory for Music, UMKC, and we were celebrating that, and I choked on something. And you, you get this idea that the Heimlich maneuver is going to immediately take it away. You know, it's like we're, when we're suffering, we're like, take it away immediately, right? Um, and right. my husband started doing the Heimlich maneuver on me, and I'm just telling you, keep trying if it's not working, because he 
had to try over and over and over. And I was to the point where I was about ready to lose consciousness um, for lack of oxygen. And that's when the food shifted and air rushed in. And it was really scary. Um, but even there at the very end when I had the thought, who am I going to see first, right? Who am I going to see dad first? Or am I going to see, because this was only a few months after dad's death, or am I going to see my Lord first? And in that moment, I had that thought. Um, the food shifted, uh, but I was already starting to have peace. And we're going to talk about that, how when we suffer and even come to the, to the point of death, that, that Christ's peace just rushes in um, and... He doesn't take away the suffering, but he comforts us through it, and he walks with us as we go through that that part of the journey, which is a very difficult part of the journey. Yeah. We want to pretend it's not um, going to happen to us, but we we all will we all will encounter suffering in our life, and we all will encounter death in this life. So uh, this is a very important talk for us to have. But um, one thing I want to tell people is to go to, there's an apostolic letter by Pope John Paul II, and I'm not very good at Latin, so correct me if I really, really do a terrible job of this. Sel, Selvavici Dolores. Did I say it right? That sounds good to me. Okay. <laughs> it's great. And a lot of the things that we're talking about, how suffering is um, something we can offer up with love, and really, suffering and love go together. When you love someone, you're willing to suffer for them, and many times you do suffer for them. Um, and so it has to be something in love. But that Christ has invited us into this experience of our humanity and even the penalty of um, of original sin and redeemed even that. And, and if anything would make Satan angrier, <laughs> aggravated, it must be that the very penalty uh, for original sin um, is being redeemed, and we can willingly walk into that, turn into that cross, uh, pick up our yeah. cross, and follow Christ. Yeah, I was thinking earlier when we were talking beforehand about one aspect of this topic that I find kind of interesting is this thought of, on the one hand, so we experience suffering, and we we want to avoid sinning in re in response to that suffering right so that's that's one in terms of personal intentional sin like if i experience suffering i don't want to turn around and shake my fist at god i don't want to get angry i don't want to turn around and and take it out on somebody else and so we 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 recognize that connection between that potential connection between suffering and sin but we also recognize too i think that you know from the garden of eden where we where we took this step um in disobedience to God, that the effect of that original sin now is, is pr again precisely that those penalty of of suffering and death. Where now, in response to this, our, our relationship with God is messed up, but our relationship with the world is messed up too. And when we experience suffering, we don't turn instinctively into trust in God and into His love. We don't respond with love. That's not our instinct. Our instinct is to respond in fear and anxiety. And desire to to escape it, and that's difficult because that's sort of beneath our intentionality. That's beneath our our decision making. Is that when I suffer, I my instinct is sadness. Uh, and again, that's that's what is now natural for us as a result of original sin. But it was not it was not originally so. Um, and as you again, as you said, part of what I find interesting about Christ's time on earth, right, is he he forgives sins, but he also heals those. He comforts those uh, who are broken because he's he's making this connection here that uh, again, death isn't the final word, suffering isn't the final word. And as you said, um, he even transforms. He gives us the ability in his grace. We he, he's, we can't escape the suffering of this world, this side of heaven, but we can respond to it differently even on, on the deepest level. Now, that has to be a result of grace. You know, we, we have to invite Christ to heal us so that that changes, so that that kind of peace in response to suffering or in the face of death uh, can uh, can be ours. 
But that's what he's calling us to, where even that that deeper level of our brokenness that's beneath kind of our personal sin, even that deep, deeper level of brokenness can be healed as well. And I think we're going to be, you know, brushing up against real-life experiences because you have to practice this. You can't expect um, it, when you reach the pinnacle of suffering uh, as a prelude to death, you can't expect to be able to to just do this um, without, you know, I look at my father who was not formed in this way, didn't even have the sacram- sacramental life of the church with the anointing of the sick, um, Eucharist and confession at, and viaticum at the end of his life. He didn't have these things. He struggled terribly. And if there's one thing, you know, I can learn beyond what I've already talked about with regard to his suffering and death it is that I want to be able to fall into the, the, the pattern of the step with the suffering um, that is to come, that is walking with Christ, offering it up to Christ, having it be a venue for grace for me to be able to go through it, as well as a venue for grace for graces to, to flow to the church and to the world. And I can't expect mm-hmm. to do that if I haven't tried to walk and wrestle with uh, suffering today, tomorrow, next month, next year, etc. This right. is how I learned to do it. Like we talked about in the last episode, muscle memory. Yeah. It's kind of a muscle memory. Um, yeah. So as we talk about this mystery of the theology of suffering, I think you said it maybe in the first episode, John Mark, um, it is not like a mystery to be solved, um, like you think of mysteries or things to be solved. It is mystery with regard to the church, also like the mystery of, of the, the Trinity. It is something that we unpack, we continue to unpack, and we don't give up trying to to go deep into it just because we can never get to the bottom of it. Uh, so in this life, we're, we're going to struggle with this, we're going to wrestle with this, we're going to learn as we go and as we grow, and... Um, and another thing that I think is amazing is that we have the whole church to walk this journey with one another. So today, right now, there are people all over the world who are suffering, and there are people in the church who are suffering today. So you never are going through this alone. There's always someone else that's suffering. And if you're part of the mystical body of Christ, you can tap into the reality. There are people praying for those who are suffering, and there are people who are suffering. So there's a real solidarity, I think, also that Pope John Paul II talked about, where we are with one another um, in in all of these these times. Um, I'd like to talk, before I get into some personal experiences, I'd like to talk a little bit about Isaiah. And I would like the viewers um, to realize Isaiah has a wealth of, uh, especially when you're talking about chapters 41 to the end of the book of Isaiah. Um, And the themes that we see run the Redeemer, he who is the Redeemer, I think that's chapter 43. Um, And then you see that he suffers. We see that in chapter 53, and a lot of those verses uh, come up in Lent, the suffering servant and then you get into, I think, chapter 41, and there's another chapter, 41 and 51, I think, where you get comfort. And this is not that Christ would know comfort on the cross, uh, because he did not have comfort. He did have his mother there, he had the women there, and he had John there, um, St. John was there. But he was not receiving comfort, because he is God going to the cross, and he is not comforted there. But those verses on being comforted in Isaiah are talking about us, those of us who are in the new Israel. When it talks about Zion, will be comforted, and there will be you know waters, uh, rivers uh, flowing through the the desert, um, the wasteland. It shows that we are not going to be spared going through the desert. We will not going to be spared those experiences, but that the waters of baptism, essentially, this is our our path to our comfort, that our God will come to us. He will comfort us when we go through that. 
And then yeah. glorification will be um, another thing that you get. And you get this with chapter 60, um, which has that wonderful opening. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Uh, and so we're going to talk a little bit about what does that mean to be glorified and how is it different from the definition in our culture. Uh, that is such a beautiful, those pulling those themes out of Isaiah. And one thing that I was thinking about, uh, again, a, a practical point here. We always want to relate this practically to our Christian life because we're, what we're talking about here is we want to live this better every day. That's 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 the key here is that we need to be, we're not talking about this merely theoretically. We're talking about the fact that I am called to daily conversion to Jesus Christ. And so one thing that that comes to my mind of the practicality of this is just recognizing that we have a danger that we as modern Christians have to face, and that is that we have the option in the modern world to avoid a lot of the discomforts of life. We have the option to avoid a lot of involuntary suffering. Now, that's a good thing that that in, that for many of us, most of the time, we can avoid a lot of involuntary suffering. We've got painkiller, we've got you know, triage medicine that can patch us up if we get a broken leg. We can we can turn the heat up when it's cold. We can turn the the cool up when it's hot. We can vo- avoid a lot of the the involuntary sufferings of life. Now, the prop so the, 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 there's a good thing there in the sense that involuntary suffering uh, can be. I mean, it it is an evil in one sense. It's especially an evil if we're not really ready to embrace it fruitfully. Okay. But if we don't replace that, if we don't use the context of, of alleviating each other's suffering, which we want to try to do, to then try to live a life where we're trying to lean into love, we're trying to lean into sacrifice, lean into charity, it's very easy to, to eliminate the involuntary suffering and then live a life of comfort. Not comfort that God is giving us. Again, that's the, the, that word comfort I was thinking about. Not comfort that God is giving us as a result of his work, his love, his grace, but the comfort we create from ourselves. And that's, that's dangerous because then we are creating and, and, and making our own little bum- bubble of comfort in this world. And then when the suffering does come that we can't avoid, we're not ready for it. And so I think that keeping that dynamic in mind that we obviously want to, we need to, you know, for ourselves and our families, we, we build a house, you know, we build walls, we keep ourselves warm, right? But we don't want to begin to grasp at a bubble of comfort where we avoid all suffering in life and we, we don't try to live a life of sacrifice where we're entering into Christ's cross because then we're, we're stepping aside from, from Christ and from the, the journey he's calling us on. I'm smiling because it reminds me of an old commercial um, and, and some of the viewers might remember it. It was um, scrubbing bubbles. Anyway, this commercial yeah. was like you, it, which is a product for like cleaning out your bathtub, et cetera. And you spray this spray and then bubbles start being activated. And, and, and the, um, uh, the little, uh, I guess, um, promotional uh, line was uh, scrubbing bubbles. They work hard, so you don't have to. And uh, that's what people want to believe that, you know, Christ worked hard, um, so we don't have to, uh, which, you know, which isn't true. It's not even scriptural. You pick up your cross and follow him um, so that we need to realize that it isn't that Christ died. He suffered and died, so we don't have to, which I think mm-hmm. my evangelical understanding um kind of thought that's what it was. In fact, the prayer I remember, whether it was intentional or not, my my perception in second grade when I prayed the sinner's prayer of repentance was, Jesus died for me and brings me life, which is true, but I put a period on it that that was what, it, that's it, right? Um, and that I even thought, and we're going to get into uh, some things where it's like, Truly, this is not exactly what happened, but I thought my life now will not be a good story. There won't be um, terrible things happen to me. Um, my life, because we were all about, you know, having a witness, being able to give your testimony. And I really thought, well, asking Christ into my heart in second grade would sort of protect me from any of the things that would make a good testimony. Um, 
which is not what happened. Uh, there were a number of things, and I've gotten into some already, uh, where it wasn't he worked hard, so I don't have to. He worked hard and shows, and he has shown me that he will yeah. walk with me when I go through it, when I have to pick up my cross, and he will comfort me. Um, right. And, you know, I, well, I also mentioned that Isaiah also talks about glorifying and what that word means with regard to the church, because we tend to think in our culture it's like what happens to athletes, what happens to... Uh, what happens to actors and actresses? They're like they're put on this pedestal and they get all this, you know, glory and accolades. That's not what it is. Um, when you look at what it means in Scripture, it has a lot more to do with kingdom language, like um, being willing to fight valiantly and come back and you're knighted, for example. Um, and the way we know that this is true and not just something that we leave in the pages of the Old Testament in a book like Isaiah is what did Jesus pray on the night he was betrayed, on the night when he entered his passion? Um, after the, or at the Last Supper, actually. He stands and prays, and before he prays that they will be one, as he and the Father, when that great prayer on unity, he's like, well, now the hour has come that you would glorify your Son, which seems completely out of context, because we know he's about to undergo suffering and death um, unimaginable suffering and death, and yet he's praying for this glory uh, that he will glorify yeah. God. Uh, and so we need to realize that glorifying, or any, even just us being glorified through Christ or because of Christ, really means you pass through the cross first, um, that you don't mm -hmm. get to avoid that cross. There's just so many things I, I would apply to here, but the, that glory bit too. So uh, again, the practical point we uh, in our in our in our in our day to day life. I mean, it's not a bad thing that we don't have suffering. We don't. We shouldn't walk around feeling bad that you know that we've been given so much. We're so privileged in our in our modern world to have you know heating and cooling and and water and good food and all that. That's not the point. We receive the point is to receive those as gifts. To receive those as gifts from God, but then in the context of that, see that okay, the, the opportunity and invitation that we have that comes with those gifts is this invitation to glory, right? That he's, what all that we've been given is the context that he's inviting us now to go out on mission, to do something great with our life. We are called to do something great with our life. And so that, I, I love that, again, your your illumination of the concept of glory there as, as something we receive, this, this commission to do something great. And I think that uh, what you're saying is so important. And we have ways... And we're blessed. We have ways to <clears throat> avoid suffering and to reduce our suffering. And we are not saying don't go to the doctor, don't have medicines that will help you. And I will get into something like I'm currently taking medicine that permits me to be able to do the work that I do with CHN. And if I didn't have that medicine, I wouldn't be able to. Um, but we also need to not run from suffering when it does come and, and we can't alleviate it. And we shouldn't run to things so many in our culture do to like self-medicate um, and turn to those things that our motivation is um, to make it go away, to to eliminate it or reduce it by our own steam, um, but to turn into Christ and let him walk with us um, when it feels like there isn't enough uh, in medicine and science to be able to to help us so i think now what i'll do is uh, first of all i want to say that there are some opportunities um for my suffering early on that i'm not going to share because there were others in the family who it was really their difficult times their difficult crosses that they bore really well um and they were also times when i could practice this um, permitting Christ to come in to redeem this experience um, as as an offering up to him. So it's, it reminds me of something that St. Faustina said, um, that there are some sufferings that, that just stay hidden, that just stay quiet, 
Um, and so I'm going to leave those there, but I think it's important to say that this didn't just happen in the last year. It has been a, a, a process um, of learning how to do this. Um, and so I am going to talk about, very candidly, some personal experiences with suffering where I have had to um, turn into it. And um, I also want to say that the prayer that I talked about in the first episode with the morning offering, uh, I had times, even recently, where when I get to the word suffering, I just, I can hardly say it. Because really, it is giving, it's saying, Jesus, I trust in you, whatever this is going to bring. And we think that we can avoid suffering or we can, you know, um, wish it away when in reality everything that comes to us is um, can be turned into a gift for Christ. So we need to let him come into those moments and not be afraid to say that prayer, may all my prayers, works, joys, and yes, even my sufferings, um, I offer up to you in that part of that morning offering. But it's still, it's with like, if I say this, well, like I have a day of suffering. No, that's not what it means. It just means I need to turn my heart towards Christ, be willing to say whatever this day may bring. Um, and I laugh about this, John Mark, but I have curly hair. And anyone who has naturally curly hair, they know you never know what you're going to get. You know, one day it may look great and people say, oh, you should keep your hair like that. And you're like, I, I'm not in charge of this. It just is what it is. Um, and... Be as um, detached from what your day is going to bring you as I am with this simple, easy thing of detachment with regard to whatever the curls are. That is what they are. So I'm going to back up. Um, one of the lessons that has taught me the most empathy is an experience that started in childhood. I was five, maybe a little younger even, and my father was at his first pastorate. And there was a young man in the youth group who, of course, was not that old, but to me he seemed to basically be a, an adult, um, and he sexually molested me. And this is not an experience that is just uh, one that I went through, but statistically one in four girls is sexually molested and one in six boys is sexually molested. So this trauma is prevalent in our culture. Um, and... One of those times, there he had a knife, and because of that, there was an element of violence that went with it. And for my little mind, that was just, it was so horrific um, and terrifying that my memory cuts out on that, on that time. Um, but I remember, I remember enough of it and the, the fear that went with seeing the knife that from that point on, and it was just a pocket knife, but from that point on, every time I saw a pocket knife, I was um, I didn't tell anyone about it, but it would trigger me. So I don't know if, if the viewers have heard of delayed onset PTSD, but PTSD comes, um, it's straight PTSD if it comes within the first couple months of, of the trauma. If it comes any time like later than that, even years later, which it was for me, it's considered delayed PTSD. So I uh, was going along. Life seemed to be just fine. And um, I'm trying to think what year it was. It wasn't that long ago, really, probably about four years ago. Yeah, probably about four years ago. I started having terrible nightmares. And um, the nightmares were violent. And they were this blend that, and I couldn't stop them. They just, they came. I didn't know from one night to the next if I would have them. Um, but they were a weird blend between what had happened to me in my first marriage um, with marital rape and lack of consent and what had happened to me as a child. And yet in my dream, I was protecting my kids. The person was an adult. Um, but and there was violence that went with it, and it was so scary because um, you have no protection in your dream. You can't even choose to tap into anything. You really you feel this kind of on your own and very alone. 
And even to this day, when I talk about those dreams, I can feel like the level of, of um, yeah. trauma or suffering, if you will, kind of rising up. And I did the one thing I knew to do, and I went to my priest in the confessional because he also was my spiritual director. I had put these two things together. I'd asked him to be not only my confessor, but my spiritual director, because I felt like there would be a lot of spiritual growth with those two things going together. He knew me really better than anyone. Um, and he said to me, Denise, there's healing this side of eternity if you want it, bring into the light those things done in the darkness and encouraged me to go seek counseling from someone who really could get to the heart of what was going on. And so I did. And we uncovered, you know, this, why this was happening, um, had a name for it, delayed onset PTSD. Um, and I got medicine for it. There's medicine for the nightmares. The medicine took the nightmares away. And then I was able to deal with the anxiety and recognizing when those levels of um, triggering would occur. And the, the viewers may remember this, but um, a couple years ago, there was um, an attack on some women in Catholic Supply uh, store in St. Louis. And there was a man in there who demanded sexual um, things of the women that triggered me. And I didn't know what had happened. I arrived at work. I was teaching at the time, and we would have morning prayer with everyone on staff. And someone mentioned to pray for those who had been hurt or lost someone in that attack. And on the way uh, to the chapel for rosary, I turned to the woman who had mentioned it as an intention of prayer, and I said, what happened? And so, uh, I mean, she didn't spell it out in detail, but she said what had happened. And I, 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 I froze. Um, I walked into the chapel. I sat down. I tried to pray, tried to hit the rhythm of the rosary to just have that just be an, a venue for grace, and I would stop, and then I tried to start it, you know, move into it again, and I was shaking. I was just shaking. So then I went into the principal's office, and um, she knew that I had delayed onset PTSD, and the first thing I said is, well, you're going to get a front row seat to see what this looks like. And I, I said that when it happened, and I just... I just had this animal groan that came out of me that was just like he did it because he could. And so I had been so triggered um, because that I was in that moment not saying what happened to these women. I was saying what happened to that little girl. He did it because he could. And, um, and the suffering that that had brought. So... Um, I realized I not only needed to, and I did first need to address what was happening to me in self-care, but as I moved through that um, and went through counseling and was on medicine for that, I realized that I also had the opportunity to let this be empathy for others who've experienced this. Um, and so I think that's one, one thing that's really important in our conversation here today John Mark, is that when we're willing to go through our suffering, when we're willing to say to Mother Church, usually like with our confessor or spiritual director, I'm turning into this suffering, where we know to move into the sacramental life of the church to be Christ journeying with us and bringing comfort to us, that we will receive what we need to go through this, but then also the church will receive what she needs to receive the graces. Because what happened then is that um, at that same time, uh, our Sunday visitor contacted me about writing a book, uh, which ended up being my second book. Um, and I said, well, the only thing right now that is like just I can't get out of my head is this, that the church, uh, because of the, uh, the pre-scandal, um, the world thinks the church cannot be a place of healing for this trauma when the church is the best place for healing for even this trauma. And our Sunday visitor was so brave and courageous um, to, to 
say yes to this work. And I didn't write the whole thing, I only wrote one chapter, but I brought in the other voices of the people who wrote the other chapters. And um, and we also had a therapist who does side, did sidebars for it. Um, but I think it, it shows that if we're willing to turn into the, those places of suffering and bring the church into it to to walk with us, which is truly Christ with us, walking with us, that not only will we have what we need to journey through our cross, but the church will receive what she needs to receive through it. Um, so that was probably, mm, I don't know, really one of the hardest things I've ever had to experience and be very brave. And each night, whatever I get tonight, um, I have no control here. And suffering is a lot like that. I am not in control. I can't choose it to just go away uh, when I want it to just go away. But that I can practice. This is an opportunity to practice asking Christ to come into it, to practice accepting it is what it is, and offering it up for whatever the good for the church is and whatever the good is for me. Um, and so, you know, that's what I did. Um, the the next thing is, le- and we've talked about, these sufferings can be mental, which is what I just described, but they can also be physical. So I'm going to talk about that because um, I've had a chance to to talk about that. So um, I'm of that wonderful age where it's menopause and you go through, you know, the world. I don't think talks enough about that is a cross, that there are things that happen. So in this wonderful time of life, um, some other weird things started happening that had nothing to do with menopause. But for women out there who are going through that, I hear you, I see you, and I empathize with you, and I know uh, how hard that can sometimes be. But I'm just going to take the glasses off because... (laughs) So I was teaching, um, and last year was my last year teaching, and we had uh, the COVID restrictions, and we'd had... um, we had masks that we had to wear, and we'd finally come back in person. And we were teaching in person, but we were also teaching virtually at the same time. That was difficult. And I started having difficulty going up and down stairs. And we had a lot of stairs at the school, um, and I, I couldn't do the stairs. So I was basically had to stay on my floor in my room. And I went to the doctor, and I'm like, I don't know what's going on, but this is really weird. told him my symptoms. He's like, yeah, that can't be. It must just be what you think you're feeling, but not what's actually happening, because what this sounds like is osteitis pubis, and the only people who get that are pregnant women, clearly, having gone through menopause. That's not me. Um, or elite athletes, high-performance athletes. <laughs> I'm like, well, that's not me either. Um, and and he's like, or from trauma. But he's like, do you, do you, did anything happen? I'm like, no, I have not. I have no idea what's going on. He's like, see, I don't think it is. But I finally had convinced him that I thought that's what it was. So he's like, well, we'll do an MRI because it will be clear if it is or it isn't. And sure enough, the MRI showed that's what I had. And nobody knew why, and nobody knew if it would go away because we didn't know what was causing it. So it could just be one of my, I don't know, just just the way I was made uh, or weakness that I had. So at the same time, I also had other issues uh, with joints hurting and things like that and muscles hurting and and I was kind of used to like arthritis because I, for years, have had arthritis in my neck. But now it's like, why are my other joints bothering me? So it was time to sign contract for the next teaching year. So this would have been like February of last year. And I knew in good conscience I could not sign contract because I couldn't give to the school what it needed uh, physically um, of its teachers. And shortly after that, uh, I went to another doctor, and he ruled out some things, and he said, I think you have fibromyalgia, which is one of the things that my father had. And I was like, okay, Lord, I, this is where I'm going to find out if the sacrami- sacramental life of the church and this practice of offering things up um, in redemptive suffering, if I can do it, and if I have 
extra help that my father hadn't had. And the way you're diagnosed is you have 14 pressure points, and when the doctor puts pressure on those, if 12 of them fire and cause pain, then you do have fibromyalgia, and all 14 on me did. And so he said, okay, I want you to know a couple things about this disorder. Um, it does not go away. You will live with this. But there are medicines to help, and I'm on one that ended up being fantastic. Um, so again, we're saying lean in, into medicine and, and science. That is a gift from God uh, for us. And I am so grateful uh, that it has been helpful. And then he said something that really, um, really hit <coughs> home, that this was my opportunity to, to practice what the church has said and to trust and to learn um, by experience and build that muscle memory. Uh, he said, what it is is your brain is dialed higher. So any pain that you would feel or in encounter, your brain interprets, interprets it at a higher level. So there's nothing that can be done for that. You just need to know that when you feel pain, that it's not as bad as you think it is. Um, which is not really uh, consoling, but Christ is. So, um, and I never know what kind of day I'm going to get with that. So physically, it's become, I don't know if tonight's going to be a hard night to sleep. I don't know if tomorrow morning is going to be hard to move around. Um, I also know that, and here I am at a desk, and this is, you know, my workspace. I also know that, and I have my watch remind me every hour to just stand, move a little bit. Um, and I let those things, so this has been a really great practice because your body makes you stop. It makes you do something. And when you marry that need with, I stop and I offer up what is going on right now what I'm doing right now, what I need to do right now. And um, what is amazing is a year ago I couldn't do stairs, and now we live in a house with lots of stairs, and I can do them. And um, I think the biggest gift was um, we moved to South Arkansas, and my husband took another position, and we had lived near St. Louis. Now we live in South Arkansas. And within two months of moving here, the osteitis pubis went away, just went away. Nobody knows why. Nobody knows why it happened. Uh, nobody knows why it went away suddenly. And the medicine with fibromyalgia um, has helped me. So when CHN uh, contacted me with a position and, and um, I interviewed for it, and as they say around here, y'all offered me the position, um, I was not in a contract as a teacher because Christ had permitted things to happen so that I uh, was not contracted to teach for the year. And I no longer had my medical health be uh, something that would cause me to have to say no. It freed me then to be able to say yes. Um, and I can clearly look back, and while going through it, I didn't see any of this at all, but I can clearly look back and see that a number of things happened. I was comforted. Um, Christ showed up. Um, I had opportunity day after day to receive whatever it is that Christ permitted to happen um, and not to be attached to my own health. There were days where, you know, I wanted an extra glass of wine or something, but certain medicines you can't have that. You know, it's like I wanted to self-medicate. So it has been practicing leaning uh, into this entire teaching and trusting that, and I even said to John Mark, I'm mean, like, I want whatever God wants, being detached even for what would come next, what my ministry would be uh, for Christ, if there would be any at all, or if my ministry would be my suffering dialed higher and higher and higher like it was for my father. And I learned how to do that more and more. And I want to say here, though, John Mark, that my suffering is nowhere near what the suffering is for many people out there uh, listening. And not that I have every day, you know, just hit a home run with it, because that's not true either. 
but this is something that we must practice in order to learn how to do it and how to do it well. And if we learn how to do it well, it's not only redemptive suffering, um, but it is the happy death. And that is something as a Protestant, I had, what? Happy death? Who? Is there such a thing as a happy death? That seems like a contradiction in terms. But we do learn how to press on to that point that there is a happy death. You know, last year, my brother and I, uh, on this show, we're talking through the virtues a bit. <clears throat> At one point, I like to to point out about courage and temperance uh, is that uh, they really describe part of our our spiritual journey that is uh, completely u- unique and relative to us, right? On the one hand, like there's an objective aspect to the moral life and v- the virtue life, the, the content of action that's out there. But part of my journey is to grow in courage. And my growing in courage means to face my fears, my pains, my sufferings. And they be, may be completely different from somebody else. And they're they're incommensurable in a fundamental sense, in the sense of I can never really know what someone else's pain is like. They can never really know what my pain is like. Uh, we can empathize, but we can never know it exactly. We, we know our own pain. We know our own suffering. And we know that's the suffering that we're called to wrestle with and to enter into and to embrace and offer up. Um, so there, there really is an incommensurability there. Um, and so it doesn't, it, again, we can't really compare our, our courage, our suffering to somebody else's. We just know that we have a particular cross we have to bear. I also wanted to say a word about, um, again, we, to reiterate what we said earlier in these different situations that like it's, because yeah, even when we start to compare ourselves, sometimes we feel bad. Like, should I, I desire to be alleviated from this particular pain? Is that wrong that I should? And and part of our message here is like, it's, no, it's, it it isn't right. Like, it's it's right to desire healing. It's right to desire to be alleviated from suffering. The 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 key the key fork in the road is whether that we turn to Christ or we turn to ourselves and to the world to deal with that. You know. Christ d- did heal many people in the gospel who came to the, him with their suffering, with their physical suffering. He healed them because he knew what they needed. He knew what was the absolute, in the, in the grand scheme of things, what was best for them ultimately, for their ultimate fulfillment, their ultimate happiness, their ultimate deep down healing. He knew what they needed. He knows what you need. He knows what I need. So it's we never want to turn away or try to deny that we have brokenness, that we have wounds, that we have trauma. And that we we want to be alleviated from those. We want them to be healed. But the key, right, is that we turn the, to Christ and say, I want to receive whatever healing you want to give me, Lord. And what you choose in your wisdom to leave there, I want to have the grace to uh, to bear well and to offer up and to unite with your suffering. And you said that way back in the beginning. Like that's, you know, those are the two things that we have, right? The prayer is, I I, I would like to be healed of this. I'd like to be alleviated, Lord, if it's so if it is your will, if this cup can pass from me, may, may it be so. If not, give me the grace to make it a part of your redemptive act for me and for those around me. Yes, it does. It goes a full circle because it is part of um, Catholic theology uh, of suffering as well as Protestant theology of suffering, although I don't think we had that term. Um, we knew that you could ask Christ to take your suffering away. He did that in Scripture with so many people. But the thing to also remember is there were so many others in Israel he did not heal. Um, But that doesn't mean he didn't have a heart for wanting to heal all of them, right? It's like he, he came to bring redemption. He came to bring um, the ultimate healing over, over death and eternal life. Um, and he also wants to be able to heal us. Um, and so we're not saying that he doesn't, and we're not saying that medicine isn't available also to to help right. with illnesses. So we can pray then, um, if you will it, whether in a miraculous way or by way of science and medicine, if you will it to take this suffering from me, Lord, please take it away. Um, if you If you don't, or if that doesn't happen, um, help me to suffer well, help me to uh, be willing to walk with you in my suffering. And then the thing that I realized is that um, 
we can offer it up as being part of the mystical body of Christ. We can offer it up. And he is the head, is with us in our suffering. We are the body of Christ. And like you were saying, um, if you are the finger, you may suffer from one thing. If you're part of the foot, you may suffer from something completely different. But being part of the mystical body of Christ, uh, we can offer it up to Christ on the cross. And that redeeming act of Christ on the cross can also be enhanced by the love that we bring through our suffering um, to bring a redemptive opening for grace for the entire church. And it is a mystery, right? right? It is a mystery that we cannot fully unpack, but we can know some things. We can know that Christ came to redeem us. We can know that he comes with us, walks with us, and comforts us. And we can also know, which um, we haven't talked about a lot, but we can also know that he will be glorified through this, that when we enter the battle, um, when we do battle by taking on our suffering like a soldier in battle, it runs into the battle, when we do that, he then glorifies himself because of what we've been through. He glorifies himself just like knighting a soldier that returns after successful battle. Uh, so, and I, you know, I think that even, you know, Protestants who never come into the church experience this also, but it's so much more difficult because they don't have the sacramental life of the church. But I think this is what I saw in my father at the very end where he was on another plane. And even my grandmother, who was a very godly woman on her deathbed, I can remember coming, her coming out of, um, essentially a coma and saying, um, glorious. I never knew. It's so glorious. I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. Um, except in the context of, yes, in your suffering and death, um, he reveals his glory. Uh, and me- much of it will stay a mystery on this side of heaven. Yeah. You know, I was thinking too, the flip side of this is, again, the way that the Lord chooses. So when we receive, we find in ourselves our brokenness, um, the, the original sin and its effects, our own personal sin, as well as wounds that we have that are that are the result of some, something that somebody else did. We find ourselves with wounds. We find ourselves with suffering. You know, and we desire healing, and so we ask for healing, uh, and we take whatever help we receive greatly, freely, whatever help and healing the Lord gives us, and then we try as best we can to bear what is left and to unite with Christ. On the flip side of that, um, Christ invites us to be uh, to minister to others in their suffering. You know, as some, if, you know, if I'm if I'm a doctor, he, he I become God's instrument to 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 be a, an instrument of His physical healing to that person. You know, and I, I should see it that way, and I should try to help that person to see it that way. This is a gift of God that this occurs, or when I any of the corporal or spiritual works of mercy, when I feed the hungry, or when I give drink to the thirsty, or when I comfort the afflicted, I am participating in Christ's healing mission there. Okay, but then even when I reach those moments where again. There's nothing more I can do. That's the, this is where the, the ability to heal ends. There too, I can offer up my suffering. I can offer up my, you know, I can offer, I can spiritually, I can go to battle for that person. And so again, this, this, it draws us into this whole, this whole drama, this whole mystery of Christ's passion, death, and resurrection. We're coming up here on Holy Week and Easter soon where we really reenact that. We go into that, that scriptural mystery, but this is the drama of our lives and we can, we can leave Christ out of it. And then it's just drama. It's just suffering. It's just a broken world or we bring it into the gospel and suddenly, no, this is, this is, um, it's the drama of, of the, of the sin of the world, but Christ's redeeming action that we're invited to participate in. And I wish I could remember where it is in sacred scripture, but it is St. Paul who says, um, I suffer for you. And then shortly after that, it says, but I also suffer for those who will never see me face to face. So St. Paul himself is saying, um, go to those who are near you, 
Go to those and be willing to suffer alongside them, to suffer for them, to turn what has happened to you into empathy for them. But also know that your suffering also is efficacious um, when suffered through Christ. is also efficacious for those you will never see and um, the trauma or crosses they bear that you will never know. And I, I think that is important, especially as we enter into uh, fully into the triduum, into the passion of our Lord, that we uh, we realize Christ on the cross trusted in the mission um, of coming to save the world when he's alone on a cross, coming to save every, every generation, uh, faces that he physically didn't come face to face with, not only those that he did, um, within the Holy Land during the time of his ministry. Uh, so if he could trust that he has left you know, the glory of heaven to enter into our reality here um, for the redemption of the world, for generations to come, uh, time without you know, end, um, that we too can enter into this time and space that we live to minister to those that we encounter and those that we will never See, and I, don't you think, John Mark, that it's also a preparation for God willing being part of the communion of saints when we can be asked as well to intercede for those on earth? Um, if God willing, we are at the altar in heaven that, that, and we are called to pray for others, that we have learned how to do this, um, if we can learn it here then he will show us how to do it there. I t- totally think that's the case. I-, I was thinking a lot this past year about the theological virtues of faith, hope, and charity. And faith is-, is the trust that we put in in God here and now, and hope is the, the the desire for God and for what he wants to give us. But those are both virtues in some sense um, of our status via Taurus, of our still being on the way. We need faith and hope. We're given the gift of faith and hope because we're not yet fully in communion with God. We're not back to him. We're not fully united. Um, but through our faith and hope, we have, we have tastes of the charity to which we're ultimately called. You know, we, even this side of heaven, through the sacraments, in prayer, in, in uh, our relationship with God, we get a taste of that. We get a touch of, of that charity, that perfect love and union with God that we're going to have. And I think again, we get tastes of that, with, as you said, with other people. And when we, when we allow ourselves to be instruments of grace, of healing, of intercession for one another, we too are getting a taste here on earth of that heavenly communion to which we're called, that ultimate perfect communion of, of the saints that we're called to. We're to we're to begin experiencing that now. We're to begin practicing that now. This is the this is the dress rehearsal for the, the ultimate, uh, never ending show (laughs) absolutely um i i have one passage from second corinthians and i didn't write down exactly where it's from but i'd I'd like to kind of bring things uh, to a close with this uh, and then any thoughts that you would have as well but it's from second corinthians and i think those who um we're really steeped in Bible, we'll recognize where it's from, even though I'm not a walking concordance and can't say it. But it, it's St. Paul saying, we are afflicted in every way, and we are. Different parts of the body of Christ are afflicted in different ways. And not just by persecution. Remember I said early on, I used to think that Anytime it talked about suffering in the Bible, it was only by way of persecution, which didn't seem relevant to me in American culture. But no, in every way, not just persecution, um, but not crushed, St. Paul says. So whether it is mental um, issues, and it feels like you're being crushed, but you're not crushed. You're not. You're still able to, if you are offering it up, you are not crushed because Christ walks with you, he comforts you, and he takes and redeems even those things that are part of this broken world for redemption. Just mind-blowing. And he goes on to say that we are always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, which by definition is 
redemptive. He doesn't say that. I'm adding that. If we are carrying within our body the death of Jesus um, as we suffer and as we feel like we're afflicted um, and crushed, it is by definition redemptive because Christ's redeeming work on the cross. And therefore, it is by definition efficacious or effective and not just suffering that seems to be meaningless. Like I remember looking in that nursery window and thinking, why is my suffering meaningless uh, with my tonsils and being stuck in the hospital? But a mother in labor, her labor is not meaningless. Her labor yields a great reward at the end. And thanks be to God, so does ours um, when we are in Christ. We are not abandoned. He loves us. He asks us to give up, um, offer up our sufferings in love. Uh, and then he promises, promises us comfort and that he will glorify that um, for him himself and for the kingdom of God. Oh, that's wonderful. Thanks so much, Denise. Um, you know, I guess just a, as a cl- closing word here, you know, bringing this back into the orbit of our of our work specifically, you know, many of our members, the members of the Coming Home Network, uh, the place that they are in their particular journey with Christ is that of uh, having heard the Holy Spirit's call to consider uh, whether uh, God is calling them to more, whether you know they grew up in one in one tradition or one denomination, and and God is. Uh, inviting them to consider is the Catholic Church perhaps where they're called to is is she the uh, the church that Christ founded uh, and so they're on that journey of of discovering that of investigating that of considering that and we know that that journey often entails a lot of additional suffering a lot of suffering they didn't ask for you know relationships marriage community a lot a lot of stuff uh, can come about as that and one of our reasons for doing this show is we want to encourage people that be patient in the process. Persevere through whatever additional sufferings come as a result of that process. We never want to, I mean, in light of all that we've talked about, we never want to waste any suffering, you know. We never want to We never want to suffer, suffer apart from Christ. We always want to bring that suffering back into our prayer, back into this the, the greater reality, which is that God is in control. So we want to pray for healing. We want to pray for help. But we, we don't want to waste a, a bit of that. We want to give it back to Christ and make it as fruitful as possible. And even for those people who may be the cause of some of that suffering in our lives, we want to offer it up for them. So uh, I thank you again, Denise, for all, for sharing, especially the, you know, your story and, and the difficult parts of your story. You know, I, I'm sure they're going to be a real encouragement uh, to others on their journeys. Thank you, John Mark. It's been great to be with you. Too. And thank you uh, for joining us for this episode, uh, dear viewer or listener. Again, I hope uh, our conversation has been encouragement to you. I hope it's given you some things to take back to your prayer, your own discernment. Um, again, we're all we're all in this together. This is not something any one of us has figured out. As we mentioned many times, this is a mystery to be experienced and to be prayed and persevered through. It's not a mystery to be solved. And so each of us is is wrestling and exploring. Um, this mystery every day, but we're doing it with Christ and with each other. And so we're glad you're along the journey with us. Again, specifically, if you are someone who is new to the Catholic Church or thinking about becoming Catholic, uh, this is your network. The Coming Home Network is your your group, your people. We invite you to check out chnetwork.org for videos and articles and conversion stories. Uh, that may be uh, of real uh, edification and encouragement to you, as well as our community at community.chnetwork.org, where you can walk along with many men and women who are who are thinking about becoming Catholic and continuing this journey with our Lord Jesus Christ. So, again, thank you for joining us for this episode of Deep in Christ. We'll talk to you again next week. God bless. Mm-hmm.